0: Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Can you uh, turn to Mark chapter 5? We're going to look at Mark chapter 5, starting from verse 21 through the, uh, verse uh, 34. And as we're continuing the series, some of you who are new, we welcome you. Um, those of us who were here, you know that we started a, a four-part sermon series simply called "Stepping Out," and we started this about two weeks ago. And I gave the three reasons why we wanted to start this series, and we have today, and then also next week to finish off the series as we head into Missions Month. And that was one of the reasons, uh, the threefold reasons. The first one was so that we can prepare ourselves for missions. This is the heartbeat of our church. We we believe not just in token in our name, nor is it something that we do here and there, but everything that we're about in our church is about God's mission. And so that's why we take a whole month in the month of November every single year to focus on God's heart and his heart, his mission, and what he desires for us to do. Each one of us will have different missions to do in tied into God's ultimate vision it's going to look different but as a church we believe that he has called us to do specific things so that's why we started this series so that we can prepare in our hearts to respond to God for missions month the second reason is to prioritize our spiritual growth that this series is really about growing in your relationship with God I've said this and I'll keep on saying it again until finally some of us can start believing in it in our hearts you will not grow spiritually unless you take steps of faith. You can read all the Bible you want. You could pray all you want. You could try to live a good life. I put that in quotes because we're all sinful and flawed. But I'm telling you right now from my own personal journey as well as many people that I had to counsel and lead and what I have seen over the years. It is very difficult to grow spiritually when you are comfortable. This is the reason why some of us, if you're honest with yourself, you have to be able to come to that point where you realize if your number one goal is to seek comfort, you're not gonna grow spiritually. You can get by by going to church, going to life group, you do your service, you give and do all these things, and you could feel good about yourself that you're doing something But you're not going to grow in that deeper relationship with Christ. You're not going to be able to trust Him. This is the reason why many people after university, as they start working, and even during the time that they're working, they get married and they have kids, there's going to be so many more challenges that will come your way. And I'm telling you right now, life is going to get harder. If anyone tells you otherwise, they're lying. Life is going to get harder. The challenges will be greater. The temptations will be more intense. Life is going to get harder. And therefore, if you're not growing spiritually, you won't be able to, in your own strength for sure, but you won't be able to handle some of the things that will come your way. This is why you have one of the greatest opportunities right now. Many of you are young. You have an opportunity to grow spiritually far greater than anyone who's in their 50s or 60s when they started later in life. That means that right now, if you discipline yourself and to love God and to step out and live by faith, you will grow to be able to handle, not in your own strength, but as you learn the skills to be able to handle some of the things that will come your way. This is the reason why I believe one of the best measurements of a person's spiritual growth and also the reality of their spirituality is by acts of faith. Do they believe what the Word of God says and do they act upon it? Do they live according to it? Do they trust in Him, in His promises? It's one of the best ways. That's why I want to encourage us, this is my encouragement to all of us, that we got to grow spiritually for what is to come even in the future. And the third and last reason is because faith is really a spiritual muscle. You don't don't grow in faith without small acts of faith and exercising. Think about even the Ripple Out campaign. That was an act of faith. You felt that God spoke to you about something. You took a step of faith. You don't know how all things will turn out, but you're trusting in Him. And so those little acts of faith or even those bigger acts of faith will strengthen your spiritual muscle. So they're all working together. As you're working out spiritually on your spiritual muscle, then from there, what you're doing is you're growing spiritually. And as you're growing spiritually, you will be able to respond to God, whatever He desires, even if He speaks to you this coming month in November. It works together. And so that's our heart's desire for every single one of us in this room that we will be able to experience spiritual growth, exercise the spiritual muscle of faith so that we can prepare ourselves for Missions Month and respond to God. That's why, if you remember part one, I talked about stepping out in the midst of adversity. We talked about Joshua and Caleb and how they faced some of the opposition, but they stepped out and believed by faith. In part two, we talked about stepping out in the midst of scarcity. And we talked about the widow at Zarephath, how even though she didn't have much, She trusted and had faith in that abundance mindset, and God rewarded her and blessed her. Today, I want to talk about what it means to step out in faith in the midst of insecurity. So adversity, we also talked about scarcity, and now insecurity. And I'm going to talk about this bleeding woman that some of you might be familiar about with the story in Scripture. So I wanted to start off and ask the question, I'm wondering, have you ever thought about how hopelessness is connected to desperation. I want you to think about that for a moment. There are some of us in this room who might be feeling hopeless or even helpless in a situation. And if you really make the link, you realize that oftentimes it is in those types of situations where you, it causes you to be desperate. And many of us, we haven't got to a point in our lives, because once again, life is comfortable where we are completely dependent because we are dependent on God because we are desperate in the situation we're in. I think many of us have felt or even feel this sense of hopelessness oftentimes. Think about this. Think about a situation where it's beyond your control. And that's when you begin to feel the world coming in, collapsing on you feeling the sense of helplessness or hopelessness. And the question is, does it cause you to be desperate for God? Think about when some of us are still struggling with the same issues over and over again. It could either make you more apathetic and not care, or it could hit a nerve in your heart and you realize, I need to change. I cannot continue on this way. For some of us, it might be battling with some kind of addiction, as you know, it controls you. You become a slave to that thing. And until we get to a point of hopelessness or even helplessness, that's when we become more desperate for change. So I share this because I don't think feeling this sense of hopelessness is necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it might be a window to experiencing a miracle in your life as well as experiencing the intimacy with Jesus Christ. When we get fearful, anxious, or even to the point where we can't even think straight, it begins to cripple us so we can't even move forward. These are the times we need Jesus more than any other time. So I wanna talk about that today as we talk about the bleeding woman and how she found hope in her situation and has she turned to Jesus Christ? So let me give us a one thing. The one thing is simply this. When we face times of desperation, we must act without hesitation. When we are in these moments of desperation, we have to respond with faith and not hesitate. So I want to focus in on that this morning. So I'm going to talk about two things for us to remember about how acting without hesitation when we face times of desperation. The first thing is this. We must realize our situation. That is the first thing. We're not going to be able to respond or act with the sense of desperation when we don't realize our situation. So let's look into the story. And I want to put it in the context of a greater story that's happening. That sometimes we just read it by section by section. But when you put it all together, you realize there's something that's really important. In this whole chapter, and even prior, as Jesus is talking about parables, you realize that this is the beginning of miracles that was demonstrated in Jesus's life. And so it's important to understand how things are connected. Because prior to this, you will notice that he actually healed a demon-possessed man. From that first healing down to all the way now, you'll realize that God is bringing forth the kingdom of God that has power and is a kingdom of miracles. So let's go ahead and read verse 21 through 24a. Listen to what it says. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. The reason why this story is important is because it's woven into the story about the bleeding woman. So I wanted to just kind of help, help us to understand a couple things. The first thing is in verse 21, we notice that a great crowd gathered around him. And so we're talking about his fame and his popularity of all the things that he's been doing is beginning to pick up ground. I mean, I was thinking if Jesus was in the time of social media, it would have been game over. Everyone would have known. And I say this because some of you know that about a year ago, there was a revival that happened in Asbury uh, College in Kentucky. What I found out was that this was the first revival in the history of the world that was in the social media. This is the reason why during this period of revival in Asbury, so many people around the world heard about it, they saw it, and they knew about this revival. I mean, it spread within several days. We're talking about they were hashtagging things. And about the third day, fourth day, so many millions and hundreds of millions of people began to see what was happening in Asbury. Like, think about all the major revivals that happened over the years, the history. Thousands of years. And how long it took for it to spread But now in the world of social media, you begin to realize how quickly, as soon as God works, people from the other part of the world heard about this. So within this region, as Jesus was performing miracles, people started gathering because they heard about this Jesus. They heard about what he was doing. And what you begin to see here is that there is a man named Jairus. Now, it's important to understand who this man is. And as we read, we see it very clearly. He was a synagogue ruler. And what you need to note is this. Being a synagogue ruler means two things. You have money and you have power. And the reason why this story is woven into, or should I say in the reverse, that the bleeding woman's story is interwoven into the story of Jairus and his daughter, who was very ill to the point of death was to put the highlight that no man or woman will be able to do what Jesus did. Now, let me explain it this way so that you can understand. The reason why it starts off this way, and Jairus being a, a synagogue ruler with all the money and wealth and all the fame and power, is because no matter who you are, there are moments in life that no amount of money Or fame will be able to deliver I will say this if you do have connections you do have some money that you might be able to get better treatment in that situation but at the end of the day we're all human regardless of how you appear regardless of your bank account regardless of what degrees that you have obtained it doesn't matter what awards you have won it doesn't matter what accolades that you receive it doesn't matter what feats that you have accomplished. At the end of the day, every single one of us in this room, the greatest neutralizer is death. Every single one of us in this room, we will die one day. And so here's Jarius, who is synagogue ruler with the money and with the power, and there was nothing he could do about his daughter's death. See, that's the theme that you begin to see in these two stories and how they're interwoven. That's only Jesus. Then in verse 24a, we see that Jesus decides to go with Jairus to heal his daughter. And the reason why that's important, even though it's a small little section here, is the compassion of Jesus. That he ends up going with him to see his daughter, to heal her. And that's what I want you to understand Is that when you get to a point of hopelessness or even desperation that if you turn to jesus that he is able to come and heal your heart and intervene in your life let me highlight some other things that we want to conclude here about the woman now i want to look at the woman's situation the bleeding woman we're going to start reading from verse 24 b through 26 but here are a couple things that we notice about this woman First of all, she felt exhausted, and it's not just physical exhaustion, but we will see here what it means to be exhausted mentally, emotionally, completely spent. Let's go ahead and read and continue on in the story. It says, and a great crowd followed him and thronged upon him, about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And who has suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. I want you to notice as you're reading this, once again, a great crowd, that's going to be important. And then you notice that she has what, 12 years and she spent everything that she had on doctors to cure her. In fact, in verse 25, it states that the woman had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, uh, maybe some of the women can relate to this more than men. Some of you men are thinking, did she have a bloody nose? But uh, we don't know exactly what the disease was. But all we can say is this. It was either a chronic menstrual disorder or it was some kind of hemorrhage that she had that she was suffering from for 12 years. I want you to try to imagine this. The story comes alive when you put yourself into her situation. For 12 years, she was bleeding, hemorrhaging. So you got to try to understand, like, you want to stop this bleeding. It's kind of like some of you have a constant cough from COVID. You're still coughing. You know, how do I get rid of this? Just think about something that's lingering, that continues to hamper or hinder you in living your life. So 12 years. In verse 26, we notice that she went to see many doctors and she spent everything that she had to find a cure or to be cured. It says says this in verse 26, was no better, but rather grew worse. So try to imagine, you're putting all your money You're spending all this time to see these physicians. And instead of getting better, it was what? Getting worse. I can understand if it's neutral, but it was getting worse. And this story of the bleeding woman was told back also in two other books, the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. In fact, Luke, who was a what? What was he? He was a doctor. He was a physician. So he, he's not going to say, yeah, my profession, it stinks because we make people worse. No. But listen to what it says in Luke chapter 8, verse 43C. It says, she cannot be healed anymore. I mean, this is a doctor telling you. You come in and you have some symptoms and he goes, sorry, you, you can't be cured. This is it. And this is where the sharp realization that human help is not sufficient. That's what I want you to be able to understand. In the same way, Jarius, no matter how much money and power you have, you will not be able to heal your daughter. In the same way with this woman, human help was not sufficient. I'm wondering if you could imagine the desperation she was going through. I'm wondering if some of us have come to this point of desperation. I think for many of us, when we go through desperate times, it helps when there are other people around us who can remind us of the truth, who can walk with us. So I want you to try to understand how exhausted she must have been. Going to the doctor's, They can't do anything for her, it's getting worse. 12 years of bleeding. I mean, we're talking about physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, emotionally exhausted. The second thing that I want you to notice is not only did she feel exhausted, but she felt excluded. You know, one thing that we cannot forget is that under the Jewish ceremonial laws, The woman was considered ceremonially unclean according to this Jewish law, that she could not be near the temple or other people. I want to read to you Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25 through 27, in the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. And it's referring to the bleeding of women, the monthly menstrual cycle. It says this, If the menstrual flow of blood continues for many days beyond the normal period, or if she discharges blood unrelated to her menstruation, the woman will be ceremonially unclean as long as the discharge continues. Anything on which she lies or sits during that time will be defiled, just as it would be during her normal menstrual period. If you touch her bed or anything on which she sits, you will be defiled. You will be required to wash your clothes and bathe in water, and you will remain un, or defiled until evening. Now, I know this sounds really ridiculous now, but this was during the time of Jesus. That the ceremonial law simply says that if there's any discharge of blood or even not only the menstrual, period. But even if there's more bleeding after that, it is very clear that you are not supposed to be around people. That's the bottom line. Because, because of the discharge of the blood, you will defile people. Even the bed that you sit on, the chair that you sit on, you will defile it. So that someone else sits on that chair, they become defiled. I'm trying to think about that kind of system of ceremonial laws. On one hand, it's because it's a sense of holiness before God. But then on the other hand, it just seems so ridiculous that as you're discharging, like you have to be completely excluded and isolated. And the reason why this is clear or we need to mention this is because whenever somebody is considered unclean, they have to be removed from the community that they're in. So any normal social relations, you have to be removed from that. So I want you to try to put this in context and understand what's happening to this lady. 12 years, she is discharging blood. She went to all the doctors to see if she can get cured. Instead of getting better or even just that same, it started getting worse. So she was exhausted physically. She was exhausted mentally. She was spent even emotionally, and now we see that she's excluded from even the social relations with people around her because every single time people saw her, they knew that she was the one who was bleeding. Don't go near her. If she would come to a place, they were like, I'm not going to go there because I don't want to be defiled, especially during the holy days and the times where they're supposed to go to the temple and worship. I think we can conclude just from this so far in the story, that not only was she desperate, she was insecure in many ways, and she was wrestling through some of these issues of financial, physical, and mental, and emotional drain. Why is this important? Because what I said was this earlier on, that we must realize our situation there are many of us in this room where we might not know it nor will we omit it but there are many of us in this room where we are exhausted and we even feel excluded and we might even be distant feeling distant from God but here's the thing there are some of you in this room that have no clue and no awareness of your situation. You feel it, but you don't really know how to identify it. You know when you feel alone. You know when you're exhausted, where things that you try and it doesn't work out. You feel like the world is against you. Or people in your life group is against you. Your family is against you. You feel it, but you're not able to realize and recognize your situation. It is that person that continues to complain why they have no friends. And no one cares enough for them and say, dude, the reason why you don't have friends is because you're so self-centered. The reason why no one wants to be around you is because the, some of the comments that you make, it's not beneficial and it doesn't help. Like that's the issue in the, where some of us are at is like we don't have someone to help us to realize what our situation is. Others of us do know, but we don't know what to do. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to open up. So what do we end up doing? We just continue to do the same thing. We might tweak things here and there, but we continue to live the life that we live. There are some of us in here spiritually, we are slowly rotting away. And that's the thing, spiritual things, sometimes you don't see it that's so dramatic. On on this trip, there were were some people in the medical field and we were in this kind of like a bus or we were going to a place together and we ended up talking about health And that's, I don't know, that's what we do. I guess older people, whatever the case may be. And we started talking about health. And one of the things that we realized is that there are a lot of things in life that we do that does not have immediate effect. We just don't don't recognize it. We don't feel it. But you keep on eating that McDonald's. 20 years later, you're going to start feeling it. Your scale feels it. Whoa, who is this? This person is heavier. It's not just physical, but I want you to understand that that's what happens spiritually. You stop reading the Word. You stop praying. You stop fellowship with other brothers and sisters. You you miss that one Sunday. Then you start missing the next Sunday. I mean, we're talking about it's not dramatic. It's one of those things that's slow. It's the same thing with bitterness. You might have been hurt, but you're like, okay, God, forgive me, and I forgive that person, and then it just continues to breathe because you haven't really surrendered. And you start seeing slowly, it starts ebbing away at you. If someone else says something that's similar to what that person who said to you, you're just gonna, you're gonna, that's, that's gonna be, your heart is going to get more angry. That's how you know you haven't forgiven somebody. You hear about these relationships that don't work out. And then you meet somebody who's similar, whether it's personality, it could be even the voice, it could be even the perfume or the cologne, and it drives you up the wall. And you haven't even gotten to know this person. What that shows you is that your heart, slowly, without you knowing it, is getting harder and harder. And even though you said you're forgiven, as you know, many of us know, forgiveness is hard work. It takes time. It takes effort to be able to say, God, I cannot forgive this person unless you empower me to do so. So without realizing your situation, you're not going to be able to move forward. Here's this woman who clearly understood where she was. That literally opened the door for the possibility of Jesus to come in and heal her, which we will see next. So not only must we realize our situation, here's the second thing, I'm going to close with this, is that we must respond in faith. Not only we, all of us, we need to realize our situation, but we must respond in faith. As the bleeding woman was desperate in her situation, there's going to be a couple things that you see that she does and she experiences so that you could draw some conclusions from this. The first thing is this, there was a clear demonstration of her faith there was a demonstration of her faith i want to read verse 27 through 29 so i hope you're understanding the flow of the story because jesus came and the crowd gathered jarius the synagogue ruler his daughter was dying so he asked jesus can you come and heal my daughter jesus in his compassion he decides to go with her and as he's going he comes across this woman We get to her situation. Now we're going to see her respond in faith. Let's read verse 27 through 29. This is what it says. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Incredible. Incredible. In verse 27, I want you to notice a phrase, she had heard the reports about Jesus. So all she had and all she knew about Jesus was from other people's experience. She didn't experience it for herself. She just heard about these reports. She probably saw or heard from these people who got healed She probably heard or saw of what Jesus did to these people in his compassion and his love. So it was not her own experience, but it was from other people's report, other people's experience as they reported. But here's the amazing part of this whole thing. That was enough to elicit faith in this woman. There are many of us, and I'm one of them who's included in this, that I need a lot of proof. Like you can say whatever you want to do, but unless I see proof, like to me, I I tend not to be, what's the word for it? I'm not as gullible, nor will I readily tell people, oh, that's great. Because maybe I'm just, my heart has become very cynical. Maybe it's really easy for me to kind of be like, okay, I've seen that. I've I've been there. I've done that. I've seen that. So that's why even when people are like, oh, you know, they're, they're serving and doing all stuff. I mean, I've seen so many people serve. I've seen so many people do great things. But later on, when you find out, they did it for themselves. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to be recognized because they're so insecure. They need affirmation from other people. There's a lot of reasons why we do what we do. So just the act itself, we got to be careful And so here's this woman. That's why it just amazed me as I'm reading this. She just heard of the report. She knows nothing else of Jesus except for the report that she heard. And that was enough to elicit the faith that we will see how she demonstrates. it. I think in our desperation, that's when we become vulnerable. And when you become vulnerable, then you're willing to seek after help. And I think one of the hardest things now as we live in Asia is the issue of vulnerability. Many of us are not vulnerable enough to then seek for help or even realize they need help and then receive the help from others. And that's why many of us continue to live the way we do. It might not be 12 years of discharge of blood, but it might be 12 years of bitterness. It might be 12 years of just your heart being so hardened. There's a lot of stuff that's going on in our lives that we don't really see. But she hears this report. And because she was so desperate, she does something that's very interesting. In verse 28, the woman, the woman decides in her mind that Jesus is the only one who can actually heal her. So look at, let's look at verse 28 again. I, th- I think this is interesting. The woman says what? Come on, say this with me. If I, right, so she's thinking to herself conditionally, if I touch even his garments, then I will be made well. So she goes, if I just touch the, his garment, then I will be made well. Now, you're not going to understand the power of this if you just read it like this, because when you translate this phrase in the original language, what you will notice is that it says, she kept on saying, which I thought was really powerful. Think about this for a moment. She's speaking to herself, if I just touch the garment of Jesus, then I will be healed. But the way it's phrased in the original language, it simply means She was repeating it over and over and over again. Like, if if I just touch his garment, then I'm going to be, I know I will be healed. If I touch his garment, just just even his garment, I'm going to be well again. It's as if she's trying to encourage herself to muster up the courage. Because you have to understand her situation. For her to even just try to reach out and do that, we're talking about it took some amount of faith. Also, I want you to understand, she could have made a lot of excuses. Oh, he's too busy. Oh, he's walking with Jarius. I, I don't want to interrupt. Or I'm not good enough. That Why, you know, why should he come and pay attention to me? She, she could have made a lot of excuses. because i'm so unclean if i even touch jesus then he's going to be defiled why would i do this to this rabbi there are so many things that could have been running through her mind so that's why she goes if i just touch his garment then i know i will be healed be made well if i could just touch his garment can i just encourage us there is something powerful when you have to repeat something to yourself over and over again can i get a good amen to that does anyone understand what i'm saying There are some of us, you need to talk to yourself. I know that sounds really weird because if you do that in the elevator, people will get out on the next floor. But some of us, we need to practice repeating God's truth to ourselves. This is the reason why even before you step out the door, you lose. Because your mind goes in so many different directions that it's not truthful, but it's deceitful, that Satan has deceived you and you start believing. Some of you, even before you end up doing anything, you're already be like, oh, it's going to fail anyway. Your mindset is so negative, I'm telling you right now, you're not going to even be willing to take a step of faith. If we had this kind of mindset, scarcity mindset, and just a neg- negative mindset, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now as a church. We would not even be moving to the place that we're going to move into. I'm not trying to preach prosperity gospel or psychological uh, positivity. But there are times, and we see this in Scripture, where the psalmist speaks to him and goes, why are you downcast, O my soul? He's talking to himself. I'm wondering how many of us, our lives will be different if we have a phrase that's rooted in the truth, the Word of God, that we can repeat it over and over again. So before we step out of the door and before we get into the train, before we get to the workplace, before we get to school, wherever we're going to be going, that we will know the truth and the truth will genuinely set us free. What would it be like if we say to ourselves, that I, I am a, I'm a child of God? I am dearly loved. I'm his beloved, and God has a plan for me this day. I don't know about tomorrow, but this day, because I have breath, everything in me, I'm going to praise the Lord. I would say, and I'm 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 not going to try to judge here, but sometimes you could tell by just even the way people worship, the volume of it. Even when I'm preaching or even when we're talking to people, you can tell sometimes how people are doing. Because you don't want to praise God when you didn't have a good day or your life is not going well or you're very apathetic, or you just sinned the night before. You don't want to come in here wanting to rejoice and praise God because Satan really will let you know you don't deserve to be opening your mouth and praising God. So we just believe that and like, yeah, I shouldn't be praising God. So we come here, even as we're singing, we're just kind of going through the motions. Yeah, like, Pastor, hurry up, move to your last, oh, this is your last point. Okay, good. Can you keep on moving faster so we can end this thing? These are the times when you have to speak truth to yourself. These are the times when you fail, make a mistake, instead of taking it to the performance realm that many of us do, that we can just concede and say, God, this is who I am. I'm sinful as, as sinful can be. This is the reason why I believe in the cross. This is the reason why you have to shed your blood This is the reason why I don't have to earn this. You said it is finished. Therefore, by faith, I'm going to take what you have done and given me the righteousness that I could not earn by myself, but I take it upon myself. Because now when you look at me because of Jesus, not because of what you have done, but because of Jesus, I am made righteous. I don't feel righteous right now. I don't feel like I want to worship God. But because of what you have done on the cross, you have made me righteous. You have made me a son or a daughter. Of the most high king. Say it over and over. Just like this woman said. As she kept saying. If I could just touch his garment. I know I will be made well. If I could just experience Jesus today. If I could continue to remind myself. Of what he has done for me. Then I know that I will be able to live with joy. To live in freedom. I think some of us need to. Speak to ourselves a little bit more. And then I want you to notice here in verse 29, as we read, it says, immediately the flow of blood dried up. See, God's timing is perfect. He could do it gradually, sometimes He does it immediately. But the question is do you trust Him? How many of you have prayed for something and it seems like years? I don't know if some of you know, but I've preached on every single continent. I've ministered in every single continent besides Australia. I don't know why. Maybe it's the land down under. And guess who I meet at this conference? All these are Aussies. And they're like, we need to have you come to Australia. I'm like, mm, I don't want to travel I'm tired. Well, that's what I was thinking. I didn't say it out loud. (laughs) I don't know why. Maybe if I went in my 30s, I would have never been in Hong Kong. I don't know. Who knows? Because my friend went to Australia, and he says, I know where I'm going to retire. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I'm going to retire in Sydney. I said, why? Because you have the ocean. The weather is nice, so many cafes. It's an international city. All of you who've been to Australia are like, yeah. If there's any Aussies here, they're like, yeah. Yeah, dude. (coughs) There are so many things in our lives that we don't know why it didn't happen. And we don't know why it's happening now. That's what I've been telling people uh, on this journey. Because when I wear a cap, I know without it, you could tell how old I am. But when I wear my baseball cap, I mean, it brings me great joy. When they say, how old are you? Like 30? I'm like, come here. Let me give you a hug, bro. (laughs) But once they find out how old I am, They're like, their eyes change. They're like, whoa. And some of them start joking, you're like my father, you're like my grandpa, you know, all that stuff. So I'm like, great. But this is what I tell them. I mean, after all the, oh, I can't believe, after all that's done, they would say, oh, tell me your story, and then we would just talk together. And I said, if I did what I'm doing now and making the connections and meeting different people, experiencing different things. If some of these things happened when I was in my 30s, I don't know if I would have made it. What I'm simply saying is that level of experience would have been so overwhelmingly crushing because of my character in my 30s, it, it would have destroyed me. That's why sometimes I wonder, and th- this is just me just sharing honestly, I wish everything I'm experiencing now, I wish I experienced it when I was younger. Because then we could do greater things. We could conquer the world. We could do all these incredible things. And God's like, mm-mm, not so fast. Because if some of the things that I'm doing now, the positions and the different things I'm engaged in, if I were doing this, if I was able to experience it in my 30s, even in my 40s, let's just say, I just don't think I would have been able to handle that much pressure. So God was working on me in my 20s and in my 30s. A lot of frustration. Why God, why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? Or why can't I do this or that? Then also in my 40s. All these years, almost 30-some years, God was working on me so that now I can do the things that I'm doing now by the grace of God and only by the grace of God. There are some of you in this room who are praying, God, I I want this right now. Why aren't you answering this prayer? Why isn't this happening? And I'm telling you right now, God loves you more than you will ever know. And in many ways, when things are not being answered, it's because he's protecting you. Now, has anyone experienced that? Can I get a good amen to that? He's protecting you because he loves you. And when he's protecting you, that's a clear sign that he has a plan for you. Are you going to trust him? So it says in verse 29, immediately the flow of blood dried up. Now, I I, I love this. When When I was studying this, I'm like, this is so good. The word felt in verse 29, it just feels like, oh, she felt this rush of energy and she was healed. I want you to know that word felt is the same word as to know. So when it says she felt the blood dry up, that word felt is to know. And that word to know is gnosko in the Greek, which means what? To know by experience. It is something that she has experienced firsthand. That's why she knows. And that's why it's translated here as she felt. If you've ever felt something and you were so certain of it, that is exactly what she was was being described here about this woman. That as soon as she touched the garment of Jesus... It says she felt, she knew by experience that the blood dried up and she was completely healed. She could feel it. When was the last time that you felt and you knew with certainty that Jesus is not only with you, but he's working in your life? Literally, it was a demonstration of her faith of speaking to herself over and over again. If I could just touch his garment and then I know I will be made heal or made well. Her speaking to herself over and over again and finally responding in faith as she demonstrated by saying, I'm going to go ahead and touch his garment. And she knew right away she was healed. Here's another thing that I want you to know. This is important. We see not only the demonstration of her faith, but there's a declaration of her faith. Let's close out with verse 30 through 34. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power has gone out from him immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowds pressing around you and yet you say who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. It seems very awkward and a little bit absurd that Jesus asked who touched me. Because we shared earlier, there are people gathered around them. I mean, we're talking about shoulder to shoulder. They all wanted to be around Jesus. So to ask who touched me, it kind of seems ridiculous. Uh, a lot of people are touching you. You know, a lot of people are around us but keep in mind in verse 30, he asked that question, who touched my garments? Now, can I just pause here and help you to understand Jesus does not ask a question, listen, because he doesn't know. Who did that? (laughs) And then you look over here, but they're over here because they tapped you like this. That's not Jesus. I want you to clearly understand whenever there's a question in the Bible that Jesus is asking it's not because he doesn't know. He asked the question for the other person's sake. Surely the disciples did not get it, right? We we get this. They're pretty they're sheep, you know. <laughs> they're dumb sheep. They continue to not get it. Sorry, those of us, it's just done upon the path. Holy Spirit revealed to me there's a life group called sheep. So praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. We love you. I feel like they're always sitting at the same section. So this is my, I don't know, cheering section. They just get excited. Anyway, he asked this question not because he doesn't know. So I want you to think about the woman now. She's like, if I just touch his garment, then I know, I'll, I know I will be made hell. And she, she had enough courage, elicited that faith. She touches it, and all of a sudden he goes, "Who touched my garments?" <laughs> I did, Jesus. No, you have to understand. She's like, this is not good. He knows. I'm guessing if the woman was possibly thinking, this is Jesus. Does he know that I'm bleeding and I'm defiled and I might have just defiled this rabbi? All we know is verse 33, where it says she came forward in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. The word fear is not so much like scared, but it's a sense of awe and reverence. She comes trembling, falling down. These are all signs of somebody being in the presence of the Holy God and told him the whole truth. This is what happens when you begin to encounter Jesus. You see who he is, and you come humbly in fear and trembling, and you fall down on your face and you say, God, you alone are worthy. You alone can heal. You, you alone can intervene in my life. So the question is still this. I, w- I want you to think about this. We haven't answered it yet. Why did Jesus ask the question, who touched my garments? Let me give us several reasons, and then we'll close out with this. Several reasons. Knowing Jesus and the way he interacted with people, knowing the situation. First of all, is the reality of the healing. He does this in other portions of Scripture. The reason why, not because he doesn't know who touched him or touched the garment, but the reason why he says... Who touched my garments? Is because he wanted people to know the reality of the healing. Jesus didn't want the crowd to think that there was he was some kind of magical healer, and he didn't want people's superstitious ways of oh, if I could just touch his garment. It's kind of like on TV they'll say buy this handkerchief that was dipped in the River Jordan and you will be healed. Okay, if you grew up in that kind of background, forgive me, but it's a little bit superstitious. That's like some of us. I have an exam today. I should do my quiet time, then God will bless me. That's superstitious. That's not faith. So the reason why Jesus says, who touched my garments, was because he wanted the reality of the healing to be clear that it was him and it was the faith of this woman. That's the first reason. The second is the recognition of her faith. He wanted the woman to reveal herself openly and then expressing the faith which caused her to touch his garments. Jesus wanted her to declare her faith publicly because by him stopping and asking who touched my garments. The disciples, we don't know. And then all of a sudden, this woman comes out in fear and trembling. Now she is exposed. The woman who was excluded, who was shunned because they all knew that she was bleeding for 12 years. Now she has to come forward publicly in front of everybody. That's why I think this is such a powerful story a person who steps out in faith and Jesus then says, I'm going to do more than you, just your healing. It's important to know that Jesus does not say, your touch saved you. But what does he say? He says, your faith has healed you. He's attributing the cure to her faith. And that faith required her to seek after Jesus. And the faith required her to believe that Jesus is the only one. I tried doctors. I tried all these other things, but only Jesus. The third and last thing is this. Not only the reality of the healing, the recognition of her faith, it's the restoration of the woman. This is the part that's so powerful. The woman now is restored when he called the woman into the open so that he could completely cure her or heal her. He not only restored her physically, listen, as I was alluding to earlier, he restored her in her self-respect and even establishing her relationship with Jesus and restoring it with others. That's why verse 34 is such a powerful phrase, but I think it's important. He calls her what? Let's go back to 34. What does he call her? Come on, say this one thing. Daughter. He could say woman, which he has said many times. But what does he say? Daughter, which is an intimate, relational word that shows care compassion, and love for this woman was bleeding for 12 years. I don't know, you do the math. Let's just assume that it was a chronic menstrual disorder. So if you do the math, you realize that she probably had it during the early teens and for 12 years she was bleeding, so she must have been in her early 20s. If it was other kind of hemorrhaging, she might have even been younger. But here is Jesus looking at her and says, daughter. That's a powerful word. Being a son or daughter of the Most High. So he restores this woman, not only physically, but emotionally, mentally, even relationally. I love what Malcolm Muggeridge said in his book, Conversion. Listen to what it says. It is precisely when every earthly hope has been explored and found wanting. When every possibility of help from earthly sources have been sought and is not forthcoming. When every recourse in this this world offers, moral as well as material, has been drawn on and explored with no effect. When in the shivering cold, every stick of wood has been thrown on the fire. In the gathering darkness, every glimmer of light has finally flickered out. It is then. And I'm going to pause here. I want you to get the fullness of this quote. It's when everything in this world that it has promised that it completely has failed. Everything that you hope for, that it will bring you happiness, and you get it and you realize it doesn't. That's why sometimes you got to grow up to understand how precious Jesus is. I did not say if you're young, you can't experience it. I've seen many of you who are young, even for myself as a 13-year-old boy who have experienced all these things, even at a 17-year-old, when I was 17, when I experienced everything that a 17-year-old can experience and more, when I finally came to that realization, nothing else in this world can satisfy except for Jesus Christ. That's when I gave my life completely over some of you are still in the process Jesus is not that great to you he's not that good to you yet because you haven't experienced the fullness of what it means to chase after something and you realize it's so empty only Jesus can satisfy that's why I say it not facetiously or just jokingly or whatever the case may be I say some of these things in a way to help you to understand for some of us that's what it's going to take some of you need to chase after the world Some of you have to go through a lot of heartaches through relationships. Some of you have to go through a lot of pain in your life for you to finally realize nothing in this world can satisfy you. Some of you have to make all the money in the world. Praise God, do it, and don't forget to tithe, but do it. Praise God, and see if it brings the happiness. Go on every single vacation during every single break. Do it. Buy every single material thing that you want to buy, thinking that it's going to bring you happiness. I want you to do it. For some of us, that is the only way we're going to realize that nothing in this world will satisfy you except for Jesus Christ. That's why Malcolm Mugridge, what he's saying is that as he's giving all these different illustrations, what he's simply saying is that when you come to that point, he says, it's then that Christ's hand reaches out sure and firm. Then Christ's words bring their inexpressible comfort. Then his light shines brightest, abolishing the darkness forever. It is only when we are in that hopeless and helpless situation, after we have exhausted all our resources, all our emotions, all our mental and emotional capacity, even as we're feeling excluded and we're just all alone in that moment, Christ's hand reaches out to us. And the question is, will you reach out to Christ? How about us this morning? As we think about the story of this bleeding woman, when was the last time you demonstrated your faith, even when things were hard? I'm wondering, do you recognize the ways in which God is trying to help you declare your faith? To take that first step. To say, I believe. I'm wondering, what are some of the ways in which you can give glory and praise to God? That's why the one thing is simply this, that when we face times of desperation, we must act without hesitation. See, the story, the reason why it's so powerful is because it's the gospel. That Jesus was willing to defile himself for us. That's why the Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we may be the righteousness of God. He wasn't afraid of being defiled, He died on the cross so that you and I could have life, that we could be made clean. That's why even Paul says, What? Therefore, we are a new creation. Because of Jesus, we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Jesus wants to restore us. He might even be willing to heal us today if some of you are suffering physically. Some of you who are suffering emotionally and mentally. Whatever it may be. What it requires is for us to take that first step. You might have to say to yourself, man, if I step out in faith, maybe... God can work in my life. Maybe Jesus can come help. You have to keep on saying this over and over again and enough courage to then elicit this act of faith. Just to touch just his garment. To be surrendered and say, God, just come and touch. Just just touch me once in my heart and you're going to change me. All that bitterness, all the worry, all the anxiety, it, it will flee. But it will require faith which you have to exercise as god moves in your heart will you respond to him this morning because when we can't come to that point of desperation that's when we have to without any hesitation we have to act and say god i need you you're the only one who could help me that's why i want to encourage you this coming week even today right now first of all be aware of your situation if you don't know ask somebody that's it's that simple ask your life group leader i think they've been so nice to you they 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 don't want to tell you the truth right now because you might be overwhelmed yeah you're kind of self-centered kind of selfish but but are you do you want to know your situation so that you can turn to jesus So be aware of it. If you don't know, ask somebody. It might be a friend. And remember, friends really tell the truth. Second thing is be attentive to God's voice. Listen to what He's saying. A leader, a preacher, or somebody, a pastor, they can tell you things, but it ultimately has to be God's voice that you hear and you obey. What is it that God is trying to say? You gotta be attentive he might be you gotta be more vulnerable you gotta confess this you gotta let this thing go you gotta trust me in this and the question is will you obey as you're being attentive to his voice and the last thing is be available to god's miracle being available simply means that I might linger and I'm just going to allow you to do what you do best, God, supernatural things. Be available means maybe you just need to take some time out throughout this week to just sit in His presence. Some of you get back into the words, carve out time for prayer, reflection. Once again, I'm praying, and I prayed this morning that God will put An insatiable desire in us for the presence of God. That wherever you are, you might have come through a a long journey or a difficult up and down recently, and here you are, you're saying, God, I hunger and thirst. I need your presence. If you could come humbly like that, I'm wondering what He will do. Would He perform a miracle? Will he work in your life? We cannot answer that, but one thing I will say is this. We are definitely posturing ourselves for something to happen. Maybe not right now, but in the hours to come, in the days to come, in the weeks to come, we are posturing ourselves humbly. You don't need to suffer 12 years of what you're going through. Today might be the day that he will set you free. I pray that he will do that by the grace of God. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.